Thanks for tuning in today. This is Jay Baker and in this episode we're going to be sharing some highlights with you from our recent webcast where our experts discuss the results of our Dividend Monitor. Our Dividend Monitor is the UK's most comprehensive and reliable tracker of the income paid by companies to their shareholders. As you might expect, the results this quarter have been extraordinary. If you want to download the full report, you can find the link in the description of this episode. But for now, you're now going to hear everything you need to know from Link Group's Susan Ring, the CEO of our Corporate Markets Division, Kit Atkinson, our Head of Capital Markets, Scott Poulier, our Client Strategy Director, along with our guest speaker, Mark Baker, Director and Head of Research at Team Spirit. Now that's all you're going to hear from me for now. I'm going to go and put the kettle on and listen to what they had to say. I'd encourage you to do the same. Welcome to our very first Dividend Monitor webcast. With the help of Orient Capital's webcast services, we're very pleased indeed to have the opportunity to discuss what industry experts think of the latest dividend results. But first, allow me to introduce myself and the expert panel with you today. So I'm Susan Ring, Chief Executive of Corporate Markets for Link, and I'm joined today by Mark Baker, Director and Head of Research for Team Spirit, Kit Atkinson, Head of Corporate Markets for Head of Capital Markets, sorry, for Corporate Markets at Link, and Scott Poulier, Client Strategy Director at Link. So thanks um, to um, you all for joining me. Just to explain the context for holding this webcast, COVID-19 has, as I'm sure you'll all agree, created a, a once-in-a-century health and economic crisis just 12 years after the once-in-a-century global financial crisis. And as the world has grappled with low yields on assets ever since the global financial crisis, dividends have become arguably the most important source of income for investors. Yet this crisis has impacted dividends more than any other since World War II. Our first quarter dividend monitor was published as wave after wave of companies were cutting and cancelling dividends. Some were forced to by the PRA um, at the Bank of England, others through moral suasion and others to protect their financial position. Our assessment published during the fire and fury of April has turned out to be very accurate as it happens. As the quarter has closed, we believe we now have a much clearer picture of the full impact for the year and beyond. And we wanted to share that with you all. I'd now like to turn to our panel to gain their input and views on this. And if I may, Mark, can I just turn to you first of all, please? We were um, clearly fighting fire and fury and made a number of predictions, and those turned out to be quite accurate as it happens, as I mentioned. So we predicted what we thought would unfold, and in the second quarter, we've seen the range of options around likely icons narrow, Mark. What, what do you think it looks like now? Oh, I mean, it was like analytical whack-a-mole um, back in April, trying to keep track of all the cuts and cancellations in such a fast-moving situation. So by the time we published, which was at the very beginning of April, we reckoned that about uh, the best case was to see a 27% fall in dividends this year and, and for them to roughly half on a worst-case basis. Now that, even the best case, would have been one of the worst years ever. And then, you know, through the second quarter, we've been able to get a, a lot more clarity. Actually, a lot more companies also then went on to announce cuts, but um, not all of them were cancelling. So where we've ended up in the second quarter, we've seen payouts fall. If you exclude all the one-offs, the one-off specials, which make a bit of, uh, they kind of confuse the picture a bit, dividends halved in the second quarter, so falling £16 billion pounds. 
Um, and amazingly, uh, three quarters of companies that typically pay in the second quarter have uh, cut or cancelled their payouts. 176 of those are outright cancellations. I mean, the, the word unprecedented gets used an awful lot in 2020, but <laughs> this is another example where it really is. Yeah, it certainly applies, doesn't it? And and just um, for context then, how does that compare to the global financial crisis, given that's obviously previously been billed as the benchmark for how bad things can get? That's actually a really good question um, to, to try and compare the two, uh, given that they're both you know, crises of, of such enormity. Well, if we look at the peak to trough decline in dividends during the financial crisis, the fall was actually only 15% in the UK. So it's doubtless already we're seeing that this time around it's going to be much worse than that. Uh, you know, for the full year, 2020 isn't going to be where the full worst impact will be felt. We'll see the kind of low point hit by the end of March because obviously the crisis really began in March this year. So the kind of 12-month impact will bottom out by the end of the first quarter next year. But I think what's worth saying here is that companies acted really, really fast this time round. Um, so what that means is they can start to restore payouts more quickly. So I think that the, the kind of, it's a kind of fast and, and deep cut, but hopefully we can start to see it bounce back uh, by the beginning of the second quarter next year. Yeah, perhaps lessons were learned from last time around in terms of how companies have reacted then. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. And and just, just out of interest, how does the UK look uh, when you compare it to elsewhere and internationally? Well, that's another great question. So uh, obviously the Link Dividend Monitor focuses very much on the UK, but we do have a bit of insight on what's going on elsewhere uh, from uh, our friends at Janice Henderson, who do a bit of work on the global picture. And the questions, the, the big questions there are, are really, if you want to see how it's going on around the world, the first question is how severe was the outbreak? The second question is how regulators have responded. And the third question is actually to do with the way dividends are timed, the seasonality. So if you break all that down, then UK and Europe look like they're roughly in line with one another. So both seeing quite a severe hit, both in the second quarter and this year. But Asia and the US are some way ahead and unlikely to see anything like the same sorts of declines this year. The one thing that's worth pointing out, though, is that actually in the US and in Asia, the, the, the dip will be more prolonged. So we're likely to see that kind of being spread more into 2021, simply because of the way companies time the way they pay their dividends. So, so that's the, it, when this is all finally said and done, the UK and Europe won't look quite as bad as they do compared to Asia and the US right now. Okay, no, that's great. Thanks, Mark. And perhaps we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit further later on as well. Um, but uh, Kit, if I could just turn to you, please, if you wouldn't mind. So taking into that all into account, can I just get your view on um, what effect do you think cuts have had on investor sentiment? Are investors happier to see financial prudence or frustrated at a loss of income, do you think? Well, I, I think the, um, given the unprecedented nature of the events we've seen, um, and certainly the prevailing feeling of panic and um an urgency that we we felt in early march and oh sorry late march and early april you'd imagine that most investors will be quite forgiving um but as as the the fog recedes a little um we're now seeing a touch of recovery in prices of course the main indices have recovered about half of their initial losses um 
and I, I think attention is going to perhaps turn to the broader response of companies. Of course, the dividend cut was only the first element of that, but um, perceptions in the longer term are going to be driven by how businesses use the cash they've retained and adapt their strategies and approaches to, to deal with a world post-COVID or, or, or actually living with COVID for the longer term. Yeah, no, I agreed with that. And I, and I guess ultimately it does help to create healthier companies in the long run, run I would imagine. So the fact that, you know, we've, we've had 124 companies, I think, rescind dividends after they've been declared, which must have hit investors hard. But I guess in the long run, you know, if they're seeing that bounce back and it creates a healthier company that they're invested in, then, uh, you know, that is that is a better position for them in the longer term, despite the short term pain. So, so just in terms of sorry, to quickly say the question of dividends being rescinded is an interesting one because it, it's very, very unusual to have seen companies pull payouts that they had already declared and that, which have gone ex-dividend. And that's the, when shares go ex-dividend, the share price adjusts for the expected dividend. So that has actually, you know, there, there was a real economic effect, if you like, a transfer of value that took place when that happened. But yeah. in such an unusual crisis, it was obviously a necessary step that companies were taking. Yes, no, absolutely. Agreed. And it, and it does show how fast and furious this all unfolded as well, doesn't it? I, give it, I think it gives evidence to that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and um, again, Kit, um, Scott, maybe, um, you know, investor response then. Um, would you like to comment on that? Yeah, certainly, Susan. I think... Um... Over at Link, we've seen a reduction in 89 dividend payments in, in Q2 2020, but we haven't actually seen a high level of shareholder or employee shareholder complaints. I mean, that's hugely encouraging and, and demonstrates that shareholders have a good level of understanding, which is nice, um, and appreciate uh, appreciation of the broader economic backdrop. I think one of the items that we'll obviously continue to do is monitor um, the level of shareholder engagement that, that we're getting through our contact centers and, and via email. And if we detect any any trends, we will relay those back on to, to clients at the appropriate time. Um, moreover, we're actually discussing um, with, with one client at, at the moment to kind of revamp an existing shareholder survey in light of COVID-19. Um, so the intelligence that we actually gained from that survey could be hugely, hugely valuable in terms of the insight and will help us to kind of prioritize their strategic priorities moving forward and also to enhance our, our delivery capabilities at, at Link. That's great. And I'm really good to know, Scott. Um, bear in mind um, the overall landscape with a dramatic cut in dividends across, I think it was over, four, over 200 companies at the end, 176 cancelling and 30 cutting dividends. Um, just like to drill into that a little bit further. So, Mark, do you think the cuts within the financial sector, which obviously had a very significant impact here. Would that have happened without the intervention from the PRA at the Bank of England? That's a really interesting question. Um, so of that 16 billion decline, half of that came from the financial sector and almost all of that was, was from the banks. And actually, at the, when this all really began, there was a bit of a question mark about whether the UK banks would feel the need to cut. Um, this is, wasn't a financial crisis. It still isn't a financial crisis. Uh, so, so it wasn't like the GFC 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Um, and many commentators felt the banks would, were in a relatively good position to continue. What changed was the European Central Bank, which took a decision uh, to ban dividends from European banks. And the Bank of England felt that it was just unsustainable 
for them to to allow UK banks to carry on when that kind of context had changed so much. So they they essentially banned UK banks then from paying. They did not ban the insurers, um, and they strongly sort of lent on them to hold their payouts back as well. Now some sort of demurred and some didn't. LNG, for example, Legal and General ignored the pressure. They pushed on with their payout, but Aviva did cut. I think if we can infer from that, therefore, that if the banks hadn't been forced to cut, that probably not all of them would have done. And you can see, for example, how HSBC faced quite a lot of complaint from its Asian shareholder base uh, when they did cut. Um, you know, HSBC and Standard Chartered actually do relatively little business in the UK compared to the rest of their operations, but they're regulated in London. So the question is whether they would have indeed gone ahead or not, it, you know, is it, certainly open. Whereas Lloyd's and our RBS were still, uh, their dividends were still in recovery mode from a relatively low base from the GFC. So, you know, question mark is whether they would have needed to. So, um, yeah, I think yeah. I think the evidence is out. I don't think all of them would have done. No, I think that's probably um, a fair um, evaluation of that. And uh, Kit, you know, what, what's your view? Do you think the PRA o- overreacted in forcing banks to cancel their dividends and that that caused unnecessary harm to investor income effectively? Well, I think, as, as Mark noted, it, a touch of inevitability about it once the ECB um, instructed Eurozone banks to act in a certain way. I think there's obviously a number of ways in which banks are, are different to most other companies. I think, f- firstly, they are going to be absolutely central and key to driving us out of or facilitating us exiting the recession that we're currently going through. Clearly, the um, the, the bank's public statements suggested that there is a high expectation on the, the number of loans that banks will be making in future, and clearly they're going to need yeah. capital buffers to deal with all that. Um, first, uh, secondly, referencing another comment that Mark made around this not being a financial crisis, and while of course that's entirely true, the the impact on the banks in this case will be inevitably felt down the line. Most businesses through lockdown suffered immediately with closure, loss of sales, and things like that. Where of course the banks need these, this cycle to almost complete before the broader economy starts defaulting on payments um, to return loans. So. Um, and finally, in addition to that, there's, um, I guess there's a bit more of a political problem regarding the banks as well. Um, perhaps one way you absolutely have to play it safer, you'd imagine that the public's appetite for any sort of bailout of the banking system was exhausted 10 years ago. So there is simply no scope for, for, for any slippage here, essentially. The, the banks have to be able to to get through any difficulties at all, which of course the most recent stress tests suggest they will, but um, it's, mm. it's perhaps one that's not worth taking any chances on. No, 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 completely agree. And just, just, uh, I wouldn't mind just turning to dividend coverage um, multiples then, and just, just look at that and the impact that that's had as well. So, uh, again, Mark, perhaps if I can turn to you first of all, you know, can we perceive the drastic and you know sweeping cuts that were obviously made by UK companies as do you think they're prudent and rapid rapid response or was it symptomatic of poor dividend coverage multiples you know before the before the impact of COVID? Uh, Susan I think it's a bit of column A and a bit of column B actually a lot of companies I mean this is really unusual three months right so many companies have simply been able to operate unable to operate and not even had any revenues let alone seen their profits decline so it'd be quite strange to expect a company to pay a dividend that is not even able to make sales 
Uh, and, and at the same time, a lot of companies have been doing rights issues, issuing new equity, and also raising new loans. Uh, so again, it would be rather strange while they're in capital raising and capital protection mode to see lots of dividends being paid. That having been said, dividend cover is really low in the UK compared to uh, global comparison. So um, Henson International Income Trust published something a couple of weeks ago, a, a report on global dividend cover levels that showed the UK right down at the bottom, typically a median, so the typical company in the UK has, has dividend cover of just 1.4 times. Uh, and that's compared to a global average of about 2.2. And you know, the kind of comfort level that people like to see is typically around the two level. So there's no doubt that um, UK dividend cover is below the global average. It's kind of got lower and lower. I think we might touch on this later, actually, but it's got lower and lower in the UK, partly to do with the preponderance we have here for progressive dividend policies that has kind of trapped companies into over-distributing. So I think that's why I think the investor reaction to some of these cuts has not been that severe because they felt that they were inevitable anyway for some of those big companies. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. And I was going to ask you why why you thought it was that our dividend cover is so low. So that, that's really helpful. Thanks. Um, and then just I wouldn't mind moving on to a little bit of a, an analysis on the different sectors and how um, they've responded. I know we've already commented on the financial sector to a degree, but given the, the number of financial and oil and mining companies as well in, in the FTSE 100, are you surprised by the resilience of large cap issuers in maintaining their dividends? And, you know, particularly when you compare that to their mid cap peers, I guess. Um, so the UK stock market is a bit unusual. Payouts are more concentrated in the UK than they are um, more concentrated among very few large payers in the UK than they are in almost any other big stock market, with maybe the exception of Australia. So given the hit to the banking dividends and Shell's really big cut, I mean, Shell's cut alone was uh, cost about £2 billion in the second quarter. Um, you would imagine the top 100 would be more, more affected as you were sort of questioning their season. Mm. Um, but we mustn't forget that there are also some really big defensive names in the top 100. So the big healthcare stocks, for example, the big tobacco stocks like BAT. And, and um, these guys also have massive, massively greater financial resilience. So uh, they are better positioned to hang on. And this, we saw this um, this last time as well in the, in the GFC, that the, the top 100 saw their dividends fall much less than for the mm. mid-caps. So the top 100, we saw them fall 45% in the second quarter, and it was 76% down for the mid-250 on an underlying basis. And if you think about those mid-caps, well, they have uh, less balance sheet flexibility, so they can't just borrow more if they want to pay or, you know, they don't, they can't get to market as quickly with new loans or with new equity as the bigger ones can. And they also are typically more affected by sudden changes in trading conditions than those big players are. And I think that pattern that we saw 12 years ago is playing out now just with more ferocity. And would you say it's fair to say that those mid caps are more domestically focused and therefore more sensitive to the economic cycle and, and more sensitive, therefore, to what's occurred during lockdown? Yes, absolutely. If you think of what the kind of industrial companies and some of those, the, and, and all the kind of travel and leisure businesses are pretty much all concentrated in the mid 250. And those were the ones who, and retail, of course, who were most dramatically affected. So absolutely, from a sector mix perspective, 
they were more um, more exposed. And, and to a certain extent, we've touched on this, but would you say that the disparity between the resilience of the FTSE 100 and the 250 indices was caused by sector makeup largely or the asymmetrical impact of the crisis on the different industries or even by the slimmer margins, which mid-caps tend to operate under? Well, again, again it's a combination of a yeah. lot of those things. So I would certainly say the sector mix is really important and, their se- and therefore their sensitivity to the UK market, to the UK economy, which has had a very severe lockdown, as we know, uh, and also just that lesser financial resilience that they have, which means that if they need to preserve cash, they better do it quick um, and mm-hmm. do it it's the right thing to do. If they don't have sales, they can't pay dividends. Yes, and I guess they've got less of an appetite to borrow as well normally. As Absolutely. Less of appetite yeah. and probably less, less capacity. capacity. I imagine yeah. that you know, yeah. they won't be offered as, as generous terms. No, that's true. And, and turning to Scott, um, if I may, so obviously Link is market leader in the AIM space and we haven't really touched on AIM so far. So you know, what, what was the value of the dividends that were cut in the second quarter 20? And, and again, do you have a perspective on that, please? Yeah, I mean, we've got circa 400 AIM clients and we've seen a, a 45% decrease in the number of dividends that we've processed at Link during Q2. And that's an, uh, an estimated value of uh, circa 1.7 billion. So, and that's that's looking at the the clients, uh, not just in the AIM space, but across the, the border scale. From an AIM perspective, 22 of our clients actually cancelled their dividends with an estimated value of, of circa 70 million pounds. We'll see that is a, a a huge chunk. Um, and whilst it's disappointing from a shareholder's perspective, these these companies retain that cash on their balance sheets, which will enable them to take stock and move forward um, with more certainty, hopefully, into, into the rest of 2020 and beyond. Mm, no, thanks, Scott. I definitely agree with that. So, again, um, considering the impact of this further, you know, recent comments by the CEO of Goldman Sachs, uh, admittedly made with reference to the US markets, he suggested that the recent market rallies have been over-optimistic and that investors are overlooking many of the medium-term risks which businesses will be faced with. So given the second quarter dividend payments in the UK and the perceived fair value of UK share prices, do you feel that the relative underperformance of the UK markets compared with their international peers represents a more realistic long-term level? Perhaps, Mark, if I could ask you to comment on that first and then Kitty, if you've got anything to add to that, please, if you may. Well, I I love questions like this because trying to kind of... uh unpick uh, global valuation is always an interesting interesting challenge i think when we when we published our last uh, our first quarter report uk plc had fallen in value by about 800 billion pounds uh, over the course of about 3 weeks just pretty extraordinary um, and i think at the time we said well look, even allowing for our worst case expectation for dividends this year that shares in the uk looked really undervalued at that time and obviously what we've seen in the last three months is quite a big bounce back. And the UK market has not, as you said, Susan, bounced back as much as, as markets uh, elsewhere. And I think if we look at the yield outlook for the UK now, if we just take dividends as a sort of simple, a simple yardstick through which to measure stocks, it's, the UK market does not look undervalued anymore in the way it did so three months ago, perhaps even fair value, as you were suggesting. Um, but I think that the... the the reason we can understand the UK market as being different to elsewhere is because the UK is a really much more of a value market. If we look at the companies listed in the UK, not many of them are 
the really big, exciting growth companies that you can see dominating the US. So those four big tech names that have actually been responsible for most of the uptick in share prices in on the US stock market has come from Microsoft and Netflix and so on. We don't have any of those. Um, and when interest rates fall to, to kind of low levels that we see now, actually growth gets valued much more highly at, at times when interest rates are extremely low because the sort of value of those future payments is much higher in present day terms when you have a very, very low interest rate or so-called discount rate. So actually the value stocks, which are more the UK's market, don't tend to do as well. There is some talk in the media now about um, a sort of rotation back into value. Well, we'll see. If that happens, then you may see the UK market start to perform a bit better. And, and Mark, just, just in, in terms of throwing it into the mix, um, what impact do you think the Brexit's had in relation to the UK stock prices then? It's definitely depressed more than mid-cap markets. So if you have a look at, uh, again, where companies are operating, top 100 are so multinational, they're not particularly impacted by what's going on in the UK. Valuations have been held back significantly by what's uh, by kind of a perceived risk uh, premium that has been placed on, on UK stocks and, and, of course, a perceived lower growth rate that might come from those mid-caps. So that, that was a problem that, that, that companies were battling already, even before the coronavirus situation uh, hit. And obviously, there's, there's a lot of concern, whichever side of the Brexit debate you're on, I think there's a lot of concern that companies don't want any disruption at the end of this year when the transition period ends. And, and just in terms of those um, depressed UK stock prices for the period where that's been the case, Scott, um, I know we obviously have our link solution, uh, link share deal, our share dealing service. So what, what did we see transpire there? And, um, you know, again, any views on that, please? Yeah, really, really extraordinary time during Q2 2020 when compared to 2019. Um, as you would have expected, we've seen shareholders and investors take advantage of the depressed share prices. And we've seen an 87% increase in transactions which is a whopping 173% increase in shares that have been acquired. From a sales side, we've seen a 65% decrease in transactions. However, um, and this is probably the, the key here, we've seen a 258% increase in the volume of shares sold in, in the market. So whilst you can see that some have, have taken the opportunity to, to acquire shares, um, the size of our sale transactions indicate that not all shareholders were prepared to wait and see if the equity market would stabilize. For me, there's an opportunity here that we can explore further with our clients as well, and that's to support them with the kind of this new norm and their shareholder strategy. Share dealing programs are a really effective way of engaging with shareholders and offering the opportunity to increase and decrease their, their um, shareholdings in a really cost-effective manner. And I think, Mark, we, we discussed that this isn't just being replicated in the in the equities market. I think we've seen some something happening over in the fund space as well. Yeah, so Callistone is a company that processes most of the transactions in the open-ended investment fund world. And they report monthly on um, on the volumes of transactions crossing their network. And, and it's been actually phenomenal increases in overall trading volumes this year. Uh, and even more so than since the uh, the crisis hit. Uh, and I think that it it's, totally reflects what you've seen, uh, Scott. Um, and it, it suggests that investors are more 
kind of engaged with their holdings than they would normally be. Um, you know, mostly people just have a direct debit set up from their savings account and they buy funds on a monthly basis into their ISA. We're seeing a lot more kind of focus on what they're investing in at this time. Yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely borne out by our experience, as Scott's just said. So we've definitely seen an increase in purchases um, and also the average size of those trades has increased um, over the term as well. So we have seen quite a significant shift in terms of patterns of behaviours as far as share dealing is concerned. Um, just um, moving on then um, to the comparison of the second quarter versus the first quarter. And I know, Mark, uh, again, you've done some really extensive research and analysis on this. So what do, you, what do you feel are the biggest shifts that we can see from the first quarter across to the second quarter this year? Well, the, the good news is that uh, our worst case scenario is a lot less bad than it was uh, three months ago, because now we have a lot more clarity over what companies are doing. Um, the bad news is our best case is also worse than it was. So we're now, you know... <laughs> Q2 has basically made it really clear what's going to happen. So the difference between our, our best and worst case is now just four percentage points. We, we expect on a best case scenario payouts to fall 39% this year to about 60 billion pounds. That's excluding special dividend. And the worst case would see that fall about 43% to 56 billion pounds. So that clarity is the, really, is the thing that's really changed and enabled us to kind of give a much better estimate of the outcome. Yeah, so I guess during the first quarter, we were seeing things unfold and predicting the outcome, whereas now in the second quarter, now it's sort of played out, we've got a much clearer view as, as to exactly what's happened and is expected to happen, I guess. Is, is that fair to say, Mark? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, okay. And then just in terms of what we can expect going forwards, I know you've alluded to it to an extent there, but what do you think that we can expect to see uh, in terms of the gap between that best case and worst case? slowly closing as we approach 2021? Well, we've closed it a lot already, but obviously as we get through the year, it's going to narrow even further. The third quarter is the other big season for UK dividends. So by the end of, um, of September, um, I, I imagine we'll have a pretty uh, accurate point estimate of where we'll be for the year. Now, you know, 2021, we'll see a rebound, um, partly because there were so many outright cancellations. Companies, even companies just restoring some of their dividend will inevitably see quite a big bounce back next year. But I think it'll take a little while uh, to get to get back to where we were in 2019. And, you know, Kit, perhaps I can turn to you in terms of your, your view, please, with regard to just how possible you think it is for some of those second quarter cancellations to be restored later on in the year. Or is it going to take longer, as Mark's just suggested? Well, I mean, we've already seen certainly some indications from from issuers that they certainly in, intend to reinstate for the, the latter part of this year. I, my personal view is that before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I, I think there's a few more issues to play out. I mean, clearly some people have not, or some businesses have not struggled as as, as much as others in this crisis. So. Um, it, it, it's entirely reasonable to expect people to start paying out towards the end of this year. But in terms of a broader recovery, I, I think there's, there's, there's two key issues which, which we need to see um, and a number of technical ones. So I, I think the first one is um, if there's a second spike in, in COVID. I mean, obviously news out of Hong Kong over the weekend um, doesn't sound very promising going, going back into lockdown, essentially. Um, 
and it, it's entirely reasonable to ex to expect uh, an uptick here, whether it's seasonal or just a, as a result of the relaxation of, of lockdown restrictions. I think we need to understand whether the government's proposed response of sort of more localised action will actually work, and how, in fact, would that pl play out if if it were London to go into lockdown? Obviously, it'd have a, a material impact. So I, I think that's very important to to see. Um, the the second is the effect of the withdrawal of government support as we go through the year. Clearly, there's a huge number of people on furlough at the moment, and what businesses do with their um, with their employees as they as government support is um, is removed is is going to be absolutely key and obviously drive the the next phase of any recovery or or, or downward turn. And then you turn to a, a to one of the more technical. Um, elements. I think uh, the pension regulator has issued some revised guidelines suggesting that companies should make up any um, or make good on any deferred payments to final salary schemes before they resume dividends. So you've obviously got a, um, a you know, for some companies, admittedly, final salary schemes are obviously much diminished now. But um, for some companies, that's, that's clearly going to be a, a, a further barrier. No, 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 I agree with you there. And, you know, certainly during the current environment, we've seen a you know, quite a significant increase in the move from DB to DC pensions. But yeah, I, I agree, there's there's quite a significant gap or deficit that's emerged there. So it will be interesting to see the impact of companies having to make good, as you say, Kit. Mark, just again, back to you, you know, obviously, it's a new and very challenging environment that we're seeing unfold. And, you know, Kit's just reference some of the things that are probably still to play out in terms of the environment that we're all working with. So has the dividend landscape changed for good, do you believe? Um, and what do you think are the positives that are here to stay? Well, I, I, I thought Kit's remark about government support is quite an interesting one, because then, then it becomes a bit of a political judgment for companies as to when, if they've been taking loans or used furlough schemes and so on, how how and when might they feel able to start rewarding their shareholders again is, is, is a really interesting and tricky question that they'll all have to engage with. But in terms of whether it's here, I think there's probably two parts of the question of whether the, there are positives and is it here to, to, to stay. I think we have seen the dividend market change for good in the UK. And I think it goes back to that question that we talked about earlier on with dividend cover uh, and the opportunity to reset dividends a bit through as a result of the pandemic. So companies that have been trapped a bit by progressive dividend policies that have forced them to pay out uh, ever higher dividends, even if their profits haven't been growing particularly fast, A, the ones with progressive policies may just reset the policies at a lower level. But more interestingly, and we, we saw this three, four years ago with the mining groups that used to have progressive dividend policies and have moved to a payout ratio approach which means that their dividend rises and falls as their profits rise and fall. That approach is likely to become more popular among any company that is uh, considered to be a cyclical company, which means a company that's, whose profit rises and falls as the economy rises and falls, rather than a, a growth company which tends to do relatively well almost whatever the economic circumstances are so yes I think that is a is a likely permanent change and and just picking up on that in terms of you know the, the resetting of dividends and the probable permanent change then again Scott you know how do you feel that investors are going to respond to that yeah I think um, it's really interesting what Mark says with regard to 
kind of progressive payout um, to more of a payout ratio. I think that could be an interesting shift. I mean, could we also see a reintroduction of, of more script dividends? Um, obviously, drip is, is in vogue and, and has been for some time now, but could, could script come back? Maybe we'll, we'll touch upon that a little bit later on. I mean, however clients intend to structure their dividend policies, I think it's, it's vital that shareholders uh, and employee shareholders are engaged throughout and the appropriate channels are used in order to, to reach them. From our perspective, we always encourage shareholders to, to provide an email address. And that's primarily because e-coms is a really effective way of, of communicating with them, staying in contact with them. Um, especially during these ever-changing times, I think it's really fundamental. Uh, quick to set up, we can get uh, really great management information from them around the kind of the effectiveness of campaigns and, and adapt them accordingly, fully branded and inexpensive. So a really, really uh, easy way in which to, to communicate with, with shareholders and employee shareholders. So um, we will we'll be there to support our, our clients um, with whatever decisions they, they take moving forward. No, that's great. Thank you, Scott. Absolutely definitely the case so um well thank thank you um mark kit scott for your insightful comments and observations i think that's been really helpful in terms of sort of unpicking some of what we've seen um over the first and second quarter and you know between the different industry sectors um as well as size sectors and also doing the comparison between what we're seeing in the uk and you know what's unfolding on more of an international stage so that's that's been great thanks um, we, we have had uh, one or two questions that have already come through whilst we've been talking. So I just wonder whether I can pick a couple of those up. So the first question looks like this is a challenge for Link. So a question about what initiatives are Link working with clients on to ensure that shareholder engagement continues during these unprecedented times. So you know, Scott, again, perhaps I can ask you to comment on that, please, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think... We've, we've obviously touched on a few initiatives and strategies that clients could potentially use moving forward. Um, but it's, it's, it's vital, again, that the engagement um, is consistent throughout, throughout the piece and kind of engaged shareholders is a kind of a prerequisite for most shareholder strategies. Um, one of the particular areas we're looking at at the moment is reunification programs, um, which essentially will reunite shareholders with their unclaimed assets. So, typically unclaimed dividends. Um, it could be a really effective tool which, in, which we could use. Um, not only is it going to provide that engagement, which, we all, which we're all craving, but it also will demonstrate a good corporate governance. And also, in these difficult times, shareholders may be struggling. So it would be hugely, hugely welcome and if um, all of a sudden they got a, a comms and stating they had some unclaimed dividend cash and, and they could be reunited with it. In addition, again, we've touched upon the shared dealing program, uh, shareholder surveys, uh, and effective e-communications. And I look forward to working with the team and, and listening to what clients have got to say and, and, and support them, again, as, as I've mentioned previously. No, thanks, Scott. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see how the requirements around shareholder engagement are going to develop as a consequence of this. So, yes, I know that we're ready and waiting to help clients with that. So that, that's, that's really helpful that you've referenced that. And then second question that's come through, um, I know, Scott, you touched on this, so it's probably been prompted by the comments that you've made, um, but does the panel feel that issuers will look or offer more alternative options for dividend payments going forward, such as drip and script, et cetera? 
given that they'll be keener to hold on to any surplus cash at this current time? And if so, what do they think investors or shareholders' response to this will be? So, um, again, perhaps if we can start with you on that, Scott, if you wouldn't mind, and perhaps Kit uh, would like to also comment. Kit, do you want to dive in first? Yeah, sure, I'll go with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that we saw through the financial crisis was a shift. We'd seen a long shift towards drip away from scripts and tax advantages were removed um, several years earlier. Throughout the financial crisis, there, there was a clear move back towards scripts. Obviously, the reason being that companies are able to retain cash there without actually cutting or, or cancelling their dividends. And, it, and, it, and in this case, of course, that, that seems a, a perfectly rational expectation as well. I, I think just the, the speed with which this crisis has struck and depending on your outlook, the speed of the bounce back is probably going to have more of an impact here in that moving from a drip to a script. You know, yes, of course, the company will retain cash, but you'd have to consider firstly the cost of launching that script program. Um, secondly, the speed of adoption by shareholders signing up to that process. And of course, that's where e-coms and things like that can, can help. Uh, and finally, you just have to consider you know, in, in, in times of upheaval, is, is, is this a change that a, a, a company would want to go through? And I guess they'd have to weigh up what the benefit would be if 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 you if you think it um for most issuers it's probably going to be quite a marginal increase in cash retention but you know each issuer is is going to have to examine that themselves they're going to know what adoption rates are for drip and you you'd hope that they will move across to a new script product yeah i think just just to add on that we had a a client that that moved away from a from a script to to a and introduced a drip last year and we facilitated that uh, process in, in under three months, and they've got a fairly big um, share register and actually international um, shareholder base. So um, there were there were some challenges that presented themselves. But I think to, to Kit's point, we we here are, are are able and willing to assist clients with making those decisions and and delivering on on what their their revised dividend policies are. So. Again, if, if clients are, are are thinking of of making the switch, engage with us as soon as you practically can, and, and we will offer some some really practical advice that will help you. Can I, can I just add, Susan? I think that script yeah, dividends is a, it's an interesting uh, approach, and and they're usually quite popular with um, private shareholders, as far as I understand. But I do think that they need to be offered with a cash alternative, otherwise it's sort of pointless. If you look at Philips, for example, in the Netherlands, they've they <laughs> they went to 100% script for the second quarter and they pay one dividend a year, I think. So they cancelled their cash dividend altogether. And actually, that's not a script anymore. It's just a share split, which doesn't have any economic value at all. And I think that is a bit of sleight of hand on the behalf of Philips, which is probably not what shareholders really need. Whereas something that is more balanced it, it is and, and more nuanced, which you guys at Link are really good at helping their cl your clients with, makes more sense. Yeah, no, sure. Th thanks, Mark. No, that's that's really, really helpful. And, and yeah, I, I happen to agree. I think um, we're probably running slightly out of time for questions, um, but feel free to, um, you know, do pick up the phone to us or send you further questions through because obviously more than happy to help. And it may well be that once you've read the dividend monitor report, um, it might prompt further questions. So so please keep, keep bringing them in. Um, we're more than happy to answer them. 
So, um, you know, as we uh, just draw this session to a close, I wouldn't mind asking each of you to just summarise your perspectives on, on what we've seen emerge from the current crisis. So if you could sort of give me your summary first, please, Mark, if you wouldn't mind. Certainly. Thank you, Susan. So I think my perspective is this is a crisis like the like of which you've never really seen before. And companies have acted faster, more decisively, and actually with remarkable unanimity. I think the idea is there's a bit of protection in the idea of collective action that they've all kind of moved together. So you know, I'm not particularly worried if one or two companies uh, have skipped a dividend or two. Um, I don't think that really affects their long-term value if they're able to generate a sustainable cash flow for their investors. But I, that's not to say that the crisis itself hasn't certainly sort of destroyed value. The world is poorer as a result of all of this, and it, it's therefore going to take time for companies to restore their operations and get us back to previous highs. But um, I'm pleased to see that the market has, has sort of stopped its overreaction, if you like, to the fire and fury of the first quarter and is now behaving in a more rational way. Yeah, no, 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 indeed. Thanks, Mark. No, that's a great summary. Thank you. And Kit, Kit does your view differ or would you endorse what Mark's just said? No, I mean, obviously, I very much agree with, with Mark what he said. As I alluded to earlier, I think there are a, there is another act to come in this, in this play. Um, the, the two key tests being, as I said earlier, the, the second wave of, of infections and um, employers' response to the withdrawal of government support. The, the the estimates that we've made out to out to next year are becoming more reliable. Um, we've got to place confidence in the authorities to react in the appropriate way, and businesses are increasingly showing that they are able to operate um, in in spite of of these circumstances. You know, here we are now talking remotely. You know, something we probably wouldn't have been doing a year ago, not willingly anyway. So no, I'm, I've joined Mark in a, a, a touch of optimism, but um, with with some more ground to run. Yeah, cautiously optimistic, as I say. And and Scott, um, again, I know you have a slightly different perspective, um, but you know, again, would you like to sort of share your summary of your views? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, again, I'm I'm totally aligned with with what Mark and Kit have said thus far. I think from our perspective, it's just ensuring that we've got our finger on the pulse when it comes to. Uh, what our clients need and, and support for their their shareholders and employee shareholders during these difficult times and obviously into the future. I think it's pleasing um, from what we've seen and from some of the management information that we have access to that again shareholders would rather see a dividend cancelled cut than and, and maintain an investment in a solvent company than a, a company paying a dividend and then uh, going into administration. So again, that's comforting. Let's hope that our, our sympathetic and, and compassionate shareholders uh, remain. Um, I think moreover, again, let's just continue to focus on that in, engagement with shareholders. Um, and we at Link will ensure that our frontline staff are, are aware of, of what uh, companies are doing so that we can um, inform your, your shareholders um, effectively. So in the coming months and years, we look forward to, to working closely with you and implementing relevant changes to, to shareholder strategy. And, you know, it's it's just a case of being flexible and and, and adapting. Um, and again, the future will hopefully be uh, a lot more positive than than the start of 2020 has been. No, thanks, Scott. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And and I guess also the other thing that we can offer clients is, you know, best practice advice and solutions, and and share with uh, companies what we're seeing and uh, how they can perhaps adopt that um, for their own organisations. Absolutely. Right. 
No, so, so thanks all. That's been really helpful and, uh, as I said, very insightful. Um, so I guess uh, we now need to wrap things up. And what I would say in summary from my side is that, yes, you know, that it's been pretty grim times. Um, but I guess to rephrase the old stock market adage, you know, that sales are vanity and profits are sanity. Um, perhaps we can say that share prices are vanity and income is sanity, or, or maybe that may, could be too extreme of you. But, you know, even in a recession, companies will continue to make money and recessions do, of course, come to an end. So, you know, in this crisis, companies have taken quick action to protect themselves and defend their positions. You know, they've raised new capital. We've certainly seen that. Um, they've issued bond financing and cut costs and most will certainly survive. And any surplus capital they don't need will find its way back to shareholders one way or another. So we shouldn't, in my view, be too depressed about a single year. Yeah, 2021, we'll already see payouts begin to recover. And Mark and Scott have alluded to the fact that some of that's already happening. But, you know, not least because action was taken so swiftly by companies this year. So, yes, it, it could be some years before UK dividends really regain previous highs. Um, but with less dependence on a very few large payers, you know, the mix will be healthier and companies will be in a more sustainable position going forwards. So here at Link, um, we will keep watching and reporting all of this um, in future editions of Dividend Monitor. Um, so you can be sure that we'll keep you posted as things further develop into the future. You know, we do take pride in providing a secure and sustainable service to our clients. Um, during and after this once-in-a-century pandemic, it would be certainly foolish to deny that economies have and will continue to suffer. But the findings of the latest dividend monitor clearly show the overwhelming impact on the way in which industries have been used um, to operating their dividends and how that may change going forwards. So by sitting at the heart of the financial sector here at Link, whilst we're connected to key bodies, authorities and clients, we'll continue to bring insights to help um, our clients progress with confidence in a challenging financial world and look forward to establishing a new and more sustainable norm. And now it remains for me to say thanks to Mark, Kit and Scott for providing us with such a comprehensive set of insights and um, thoughts in terms of dividends in 2020 and going forward. So thank you very much indeed for attending everyone. Do take care and stay safe. Well, some interesting points being raised there. And just a reminder that you can download the full report using the link in the description. And whilst I've got you, if you like what you hear, you can hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on and you'll be notified each time we release a new episode. Thanks again for listening.